Karen. How are you? I am great. How are you tonight? I am doing well. Thank you so much for asking. Welcome to Hey Rising Leader, the podcast for young HR professionals. And we're so happy to have you as our guest speaker. Um, And so today we're going to talk all about psychological safety. Uh, It's been buzzing around workplaces, articles, uh, all type of boards and blogs. And so I'm super excited to dive in with you today. And so to kick this off, uh, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and yeah, what psychological safety even means. Sure. So I am Karen Eber. I have a company, Eber Leadership Group, that focuses on helping other companies reimagine and evolve how they're they're shaping their culture from how they're evolving and transforming it to their ideal culture, to how they are equipping their people leaders and their teams to manage it day to day. Because that, man, that is where we feel that psychological safety or the toxic team. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of what I do is working with leaders and teams to to establish healthy behaviors trust is at the heart of all of the different things that we do. And so this topic is definitely close to um, my heart. And I think it's a topic that unfortunately, like everybody has a negative experience that makes them pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. So psychological safety, there's a couple definitions. One most famous by Amy Edmondson is where you have the ability to discuss mistakes and lessons learned without fear of blame or Um, that you're going to get in trouble or anything like that. Like it's a comfortable environment. Mm -hmm. I like to describe it as all of the energy goes to the work versus thinking about how the work is getting done. Like you don't have to worry about which version of your leader is going to show up or how that difficult person on the team is going to take it or Mm -hmm. all the different things that we tend to stress about and think about uh, when we're trying to think about stuff. Like all the energy goes to the work that, is being done. Um, so when you have it, your energy is, um, it builds on each other. You are, you get in the state of flow. It is just interesting and engaging. And when you don't have it, you feel depleted and you, you get drained so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I just think about all of the the things I feel like I have to turn off sometime, right? To like show up as my, well, the more polished version of myself, right? And it's kind of like, like all of that time that I spend thinking about behaving a certain way could just be directed to my work. Um, and so I'm curious to know what got you interested in the topic of psychological safety. So I actually studied psychology in college because I've always been fascinated by people and I knew I wanted to apply it to work. And so when you start to think about work, you always get to the context of how work gets done, which is teams and leaders. And you don't get very far without looking at how are you creating what I like to call a healthy team where there are the behaviors that don't feel toxic, don't feel depleting, um, you don't feel burnout, which I think all of those happen when when your personal values are challenged, you feel like it's toxic and your resilience depletes really quickly. So when people get to burnout, it's not because it's necessarily the worst environment, it's because they're their own personal values are being challenged minute to minute or in times where they just can't get that resilience going. 
And when you start to think about that, you realize, well, there's different ways that you want to make sure you are being clear on what a team values and how you're operating, but also how you're creating that environment where, like you just said, you're not stressing about, am I exactly perfect in this? Or do I have to do this this way? Like you can just be and feel like it's okay to be who you are and it's okay to contribute and you don't weigh in every meeting, should I speak up or not speak up? It's just, you get to focus all that energy to the work. So I found that as I started to look at psychology applied towards business and dynamics, like this, this is at the heart of it. And so I want to help people first understand what happens neurologically, because sometimes stuff happens that we're not in control over. Um, but also help them realize different ways they can approach it, different things they can do to make it better. Yeah. And so what can we do if we feel like we are on a toxic team or there may be a little toxicity within our company? uh, What are some things that we can do as rising leaders to kind of help facilitate an environment of trust? Um, And that's a little bit more, yeah, that's safer for everyone. Yeah. The first thing I would recognize, there's a fine line between a toxic team and a high performing team. And I I recently had a debate with someone on Twitter about this and they said, I don't believe that's true because if you're a toxic team, you're not going to be high performing and sustain things very long. I completely agree with that statement. I think though that a line where you move from high performance into toxic behaviors are when your values get challenged. So we've all probably had a day where we've experienced someone or a behavior or something where it just left us feeling really uncomfortable and we were drained and we had to figure out how to come back in and pick ourselves up and come back with a fresh attitude the next day or feel better. And that isn't the most toxic team ever, but there was an event, a moment, a something. And so being aware that we can slide into that really easily by not being aware of how, um, what we're reinforcing on teams or what conversations we're having. So first thing is there is that fine line and it can happen um, quickly when you're not careful or you're making assumptions. I think the second thing is if you can embrace this idea of curiosity and empathy, you literally rewire the chemistry in your brain to behave differently. So um, when we're in a toxic environment, we are going to have the cortisol release in our brain and we're going to put our defenses up and we're not going to be as open. And as someone on a team, if you can ask thoughtful questions, you can make that conversation be different. You can help people respond differently. One of the best things you can do is start to build empathy upfront with people. So empathy meaning how do you gain appreciation for the people on your team, who they are as individuals, where they're at their best. And so whether you're the leader, whether you're a colleague, getting understanding of people to to ask questions about like, what does your best day look like? And how do you create more of them? Or what happens when you are under pressure? How can you best be supported? Uh, what helps you change your mind? Like yeah. all of these are non-threatening questions meant to drive curiosity, get an understanding and openness. Yeah. And it seems like there would 
there is a direct correlation between empathy and trust, right? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. So neurologically, the more empathy I have, the more oxytocin is released in my brain. And the more oxytocin that's released, the more trust that's actually formed. So where you can be curious and have empathy for someone, you literally can help appreciate the release of chemicals in your brain and and create this different environment. And it happens in both individuals. Yeah. I think one thing also is so helpful. You don't have to be the leader of this team. This can be any person on the team. If there's a decision coming up, um, prompting discussion, like what might it look like if we disagree with this? So if you're on a toxic team and it feels like, oh, I don't know if I can speak up here. I I don't know that it feels safe or I might get blamed or it might end up hurting me in the long run. Um, You have to find ways to open up dialogue that feel a little less scary. And a question like, what might it look like if we disagreed with this isn't who disagrees with this and why. (laughs) It it opens up this other type of discussion. It's much softer. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. It creates like almost like a, well, let's let's take a hypothetical here. Um, And that's sometimes all you need to get a different dialogue and conversation and perspective introduced. So questions like that are, how might this go wrong? Or... um, you know, if you're in a situation where there's a quality or a safety issue, asking, is this as safe as we want it to be or is the quality where we want it to be? Mm-hmm. So anyone can ask these thoughtful questions that really their pattern interrupts mm-hmm. and they make a room stop and think or a virtual room stop and think like, what, what do we think about this? Mm-hmm. And um, if you can keep that space where you're genuinely curious and people feel like they can speak up, then it's helpful. And I find the way to make people feel like they can speak up is not to say who disagrees with this, but to ask it in a way that it's almost more, well, if someone was going to, what might that look like? It it feels a little safer. Yeah, it's, I think it's about inviting people to the conversation, right? And right. welcoming their, their different perspectives um, to make sure that we have all of the bases covered um, because we all have different backgrounds and experiences and our brains operate so differently that it's worth definitely worth having the conversation conversation just to make sure, right, that everything is being considered. Um, and when you talk about high-performing teams, we need that diversity of thought on our teams. Um, so I think that's an ex- excellent example. Yeah. I knew a leader that um, wanted to really listen in the organization and was role modeling all the right things. So she wanted to be curious. She was trying to be empathic. And she would ask for people to submit questions anonymously. The problem was when they did, she immediately got defensive when she was answering them. And it made it like, okay, well, you asked me for my question. Now that I've given it to you, you're getting defensive and you're shutting down. I'm never going to ask this question again. Like, it's not worth it. And I've done it in a way that's confidential, but that experience is still there. And so I think these are things we have to be aware of that how you respond to each other are those moments that might trigger where I feel comfortable or I don't feel comfortable. Yeah. And so what are your thoughts on, I don't know, say you and I are on the same team together and, you know, I um, ask a question and your response to me is maybe a little negative, right? Maybe you don't intend for it to be negative, but I don't know. I take that a little personally. Do you think it's better to 
for me to address that with you or in our team environment? Or how should I handle a situation like that where maybe I feel a little uncomfortable after a comment or a remark from another teammate? Yeah, it's such a um, important question. And there's so many layers to it, right? Because it could be a comment, it could be a microaggression. And how do you put a stop to that? So the ideal way Mm -hmm. is that as a team, you get a chance to talk up front about how do we want to call out or call in in a moment where someone is behaving in a way that doesn't feel in line with what we value or the norms that we have. Because then you have this agreement and I've done this with teams where their code word is like banana and it happens. And then they just say banana (laughs) because they've all agreed to it. And it's an easier like, Oh wait, what do you mean banana? What did I say? Um, Because the intent isn't what the experience is. Uh, But that's, you know, if you can do the work up front to say, how do we want to handle it? Because it will happen. Just like you said, diverse perspectives, diverse experiences. We are going to have moments where we might say something that just doesn't land, at least in a minimum, how we intended and potentially hurtfully, harmfully. So having those discussions before you get there can be so helpful in that. When you haven't had those discussions, I think it's a matter of, Um, do you want to call out or do you want to call in? Mm -hmm. And some of that is personal preference. But I think the important thing is where you don't address a behavior that is not desired, whether you're the person that experienced it or you're a person on the team, um, that then becomes the culture because your culture is the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate. Mm -hmm. So when the microaggression happens and nobody says anything, then it's like, oh, this is this is accepted, which, of course, isn't the case. And so um, I am a fan of calling in and saying, can we pause for a moment? Uh, I want to talk about what happened. I want to understand what made you ask that or say that. I want to share my experience of it and try and do it in a a, um, open way. That said, you know, that's not always possible in those moments or the person might not feel safe enough doing that. And so it then becomes, um, you know, do you have to go to the leader? Did the leader cause it? Do you have to involve other people? Yeah, for sure. And so now my brain is kind of sparking to another side. So I'm thinking like, okay, what if I feel safe on my team? But I don't necessarily know how my teammates feel. How can I gauge and see how, like, maybe there's some psychological safety on my team, but is it, like, how do I know it's enough? Like, where where's the line? I think about uh, Brittany Brown. She talks about the um, anatomy of trust, right, with the marbles. And you put the marble, one marble in at a time, and eventually you have a full jar. And so how do I know if my jar is half full? or full, or even on the opposite end, maybe there's only two marbles in there. Like, how can I determine where my team is um, right now? Yeah, I think, again, the questioning, the curiosity and the empathy of continually checking in is good. And where you as a team have this muscle that you are regularly having these intervals where you take that tactical pause and say, how are we doing and what's working and not working? Um, So I do think the what has gone well for us or what is going well, what isn't going well, um, what mistakes do we need to celebrate, what what should we start doing, stop doing, um, what is one thing I need to know but might be difficult for me to hear. 
So those are all assuming that there's a place where people feel comfortable speaking up. Um, I, If I am working with a team and I'm not exactly sure where it's at, I try to do a layered approach where there's an anonymous survey where people can respond and not have it be tracked to them. And then we work through different activities to get to the questions um, that also include activities where we learn a little bit about each other. So I do a mix of anonymous and in person and it typically comes out. It'll either come out in the anonymous survey where people will be pretty frank or they will, um, it'll come out in the discussion. And the, if you say, you know, it's really important to me that we are all working in a place that is, um, comfortable and engaging and we all thrive and we all feel safe speaking up and I want to understand where your comfort level with that is then um you're inviting this place of I want to make this better and I want to know what's important to you so I wouldn't necessarily ask on a scale of one to ten do you feel psychologically safe on this team because if it's anything less than a ten I'm not sure people But I do think that there's ways to ask the questions confidentially to start to um, give opportunities for people to say, like, what is one thing that I need to know but might be difficult for me to hear? Yeah. You know, anonymously, you typically get that, assuming you have more than two people on your team. Yeah. yeah. And I think also, like, when whenever there is a new member team, right, kind of like, bringing everyone back together and saying, okay, like this is how our team operates to kind of help, you know, that individual feel comfortable um, using their voice um, in that space. Um, and then also inviting that person to speak up, right? Because sometimes when you're new to a team, you're kind of like, I don't know, there's like this whole team dynamic. You're trying to figure out how you fit in and like how you can contribute. And so sometimes I think it's helpful for team leaders or directors to kind of just invite that person to speak up and to chime in. And then also for the team to kind of just to give them some praise, a job when they they do something great or to take interest in something that they're interested in to kind of help foster that and build that relationship. Yeah. A lot of it sounds so basic, like really, we have to plan conversations and we have to plan celebrations, but you really do. Because if you don't, then it just won't happen or it won't happen with the muscles that you have. But if you keep time dedicated to it and you keep up that muscle, then you don't have to have the heavy conversations. You just keep doing the tweaks and you get to the place where people do feel comfortable saying, you know, that that comment you made, I'm not sure it landed the way you intended. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's just a different, different environment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so um, the purpose of Hey Rising Leader is to help our young HR professionals just develop and level up in their careers. And so I saw in your bio that you have that you're listed as the leadership development whisperer. And so (laughs) I'm curious to know if you're willing to share a time um, that you've worked with a young leader um, in their personal development and growth, whether it was in psychological safety on the team within the organization, or just any type of personal growth. The whisperer comes from... um people noticing a moment of vulnerability where it's helpful for someone to hear a message or get the nudge or get the encouragement. It's the that vulnerable moment where they are um, needing something or open to 
hearing something. And so that's actually a lot of the work that I've done with rising leaders. Um, I find there's an arc that as you take on more leadership roles, there's a inner dialogue of, um, is this right? Am I doing the right thing? What should I be doing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of it very early on is helping each person tap into their own instincts and really affirming, like, trust your instincts. They're good. Here's what I noticed you doing, and I really like that, and why. Um, and really giving people nudges. So a story I uh, many years ago was working with this young man that wanted to take on leadership of a big project. It was a big cultural transformation in a company. And he kept coming to me and asking if he could do it. And I was admittedly like, no, nothing. This is huge. And if this goes wrong, I'm like, you want me to give it to you? And then I thought, why am I saying no? Like, how else do you grow and develop? And so we sat down and we talked about what would be involved. And he said he was ready. And then I said, okay, don't mess it up which is probably not the um, the best coaching, but I was actually really trying to be funny in that moment. Just be like, mm-hmm. it's going to be fine. Yeah. Well, about two weeks into the project, everything went off the rails. Every single thing that could go wrong did go wrong. And it had nothing to do with his leadership. It just was circumstance. And so he called me up and he said, what are we going to do? And I said, what do you mean? What are we going to do? He said, well, here's what's happening. Like, what do we do? And I said, well, you tell me. And he looked at me shocked, like, what do you mean? I said, well, you're leading this. You're closest to the work. Talk me through what you think should be done and why. And that, I think, was really sobering for him of like, what do you mean? I'm the one. I'm like, you're the one closest to it. And I think that's something that um, as rising leaders take on more leadership roles, trust your instinct and know you're the one closest to the work. You're the one seeing the most information. And this is true for any leader in any role, right? We should push decision-making and leadership closest to the action because you're living it. Um, and so he thought it through and he said what he wanted to do. And I asked him a few different questions to think about different options. And I'm like, all right, well, what are we doing? And he decided. And then he called me the next day and we did it again. And um, his instincts were fine. And the project turned around and it pulled itself into where it needed to be. But that like learning to trust and get that affirmation and know okay, I'm doing this. And spoiler alert, everyone is making it up as they go. (laughs) The other big thing I would say that I helped him do, so the first two weeks were crazy on this project. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the two weeks, I sat down and I wrote him a note and I said, here are things I observed you doing the past two weeks. Here's what I really liked. In this meeting, you said this and you, you took this decision, you did this. And I was really specific pointing out to him all these things that he had done that I noticed that I really liked. And I put it in writing on purpose because I knew he would want to go back to it and get reminded of it. And I think that um, I wanted him to, to build this habit of reflecting himself what is it I'm doing and what have I learned and what do I want to take going forward? And that is something that as leaders move through their career, they don't always make time for, but that's where your growth is going to happen. So a lot of those whisperer moments are trying to catch people in that and help them um, work through that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Trust yourself, keep a solutions-based mind, and give yourself the opportunity to be reflective um, so you're able to kind of just improve each and every day. Um, That's really good advice, and I'm so glad that he had the opportunity to work with you um, because it seemed like you really challenged him to develop his own solutions, right? And so um, prior to that going in, it seemed like he was just kind of like relying on it, and I think that's a part of like the leadership development, um, as you just mentioned, that the leadership development process is just like, okay, I'm moving from doer, right? I've been doing, 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 but now like I also have to provide solutions to these problems because now I am the leader of this project. Um, So I think that's great. Thank you. And so I'm curious to know a little bit more about you and like who your silent mentors are. Like who, <laughs> who are you uh, super excited uh, to learn from? Um, I don't know if you have any books uh, that you've read recently that you would recommend um, to our Rising Leaders group or anything like that. So I do actually have a bunch of different mentors. I'm not really someone that believes you just have one. I think I have, um, you know, I have some people that are mentors in the speaking world because I do keynotes. I have some people that are um, mentors in the storytelling work that I do and some people that is doing similar um work with teams and psychological safety and, and some it is running your own business. So I just think that I, when I get to talk to people that are brilliant in their area, I come away energized with so much thinking. So I think a mentor can be a moment or it can be an ongoing thing and so worth doing. Um, books. Okay. So I just got this book that I'm reading. It's okay. called the wonder switch by Harris, the third, and it is about the um, the idea that, like as children, we have all this awe and wonder and imagination and daydreaming, and we tap into that, and we're super creative. Yeah. And then as we get older, we're like, no, I have to be business like, and I'm not going to do that as much, or or at least in work, we feel like I can't be full of wonder and awe, and that might not be professional. And so a lot of what I I'm trying to do more of is help myself and um, leaders and teams embrace this. Like play at work is good and you get better results in creativity. So that is one that I am I'm looking at and fascinated by. Um, a podcast, I would say Esther Perel has two different podcasts. One is on relationships and the other is on work relationships And um, I always get good stuff out of that, but she will have conversations with a couple or a business pair about the challenges they're facing. And because I love psychology, it's just fascinating to go behind the scenes and hear, and she's just brilliant. She's so compassionate and not judgmental. And I'm always in awe of her when I listen to those. Those Well, thank you so much for your time today, Karen. Um, It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. And so if our rising leaders are interested in connecting with you or just want to stay in the loop and hear about what you're doing or to listen to your uh, TED Talk on YouTube or TEDx, um, how can they find you? My website is my name, very original. So K-A-R-E-N-E-B-E-R.com. 
So on there, there's a brain food section that has articles. Um, it's got tools. It's got a tool on psychological safety. There's different tools on communicating, leading in a crisis, all that. And there's also a link to a YouTube channel where I've got these two to five minute videos on leading and culture and teaming and storytelling. So I um, try to put content that is helpful to people. So if you are interested in, in resources to um, just expand your thinking, that's a great place to go and search whenever you're in need of something. Awesome. Well, I know I'll be following you and plan to stay in touch. Thank you again for your time today. Um, and rising leaders, follow Karen. Um, I'm sure she'll have amazing resources to share with us um, in the future. The Hey Rising Leader podcast was brought to you by the Sherman Atlanta Rising Leaders. Sherman Atlanta is the premier professional community for those in human resources and people management. The Rising Leaders Group represents Atlanta's HR professionals under the age of 35 and provides members with professional development opportunities in a common forum to share ideas and experiences. If you would like to join our community, please visit the Sherman Atlanta website or follow us on our social platforms at Rising Leaders ATL on IG or Sherman Atlanta Rising Leaders on LinkedIn.